What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and everything in between? Welcome to Bird Feed, episode three, hosted by me, the Birdseed Botanist. Today, we are going to be kind of going over uh, deficiencies, sexing, and flushing. Those are going to be the three topics of, uh, of, of, of talk today. And first, I kind of wanted to touch on deficiencies. So as you're growing, you know, you have your base building block nutrients, your nitrogen, your phosphorus, and your potassium. Um, those are, are, are the big three, right? But there are so many little minor nutrients that your plant needs and can become deficient in if it's not available or not in the media you're using. Um, <clears throat> a lot of products, if you're growing synthetically, are going to kind of include and incorporate these little micronutrients. Um within their regimen um they're really just not super listed um like let's take general hydro for example you'll look at their cal micro and then we'll look at that little word micro right that is going to be your all your not all probably not all uh but that's going to be the the micro nutrients that your plant is going to need um throughout its life cycle and those vary um in in uh in different times of the plant's life cycle but uh they're pretty much necessary throughout this lifespan and so um one thing that i wanted to kind of bring up is this uh this this great resource and visual uh called molder's chart um if you have the time uh one time uh at any point in your day uh to bring this up or right now as we're talking about it so you can can look at it and have this visual representation but Mulder's chart is essentially um, it's going to not contain everything but it's going to contain a pretty good amount uh, we got calcium potassium iron magnesium boron nitrogen zinc molybdenum mo I'm not I'm not too familiar on that to be honest uh, phosphorus uh, copper and manganese and so this chart is going to show you uh, both the antagonism and the stimulation between these or how these interact some of them interact uh, with almost everyone some of them only interact with a couple um, but it's a great visual representation to see kind of uh, if there's a there's a possibility for one to get locked out and you can kind of pinpoint it and see what what is locking that out of the plant why is it not going to be plant available um, and you can kind of do your detective work and figure that out. And so antagonism in this in this sense, in this chart, we're talking about um, their high levels of a particular nutrient in the soil. And it can in interfere with, like I said, uh, interfere with the availability and the uptake of other nutrients. So something like high nitrogen can um, reduce availability of boron and copper and... Uh, high phosphate levels can uh, influence the uptake of iron calcium and copper and zinc and high potassium uh, levels can um, reduce magnesium uptake so there's all these little interactions that happen within the soil or media or whatever you're using uh, that kind of bounce back and uh, either um, lock out one or another but 
or or influence it. Uh, and that's what I want to talk about now is the stimulation. And that occurs when there's a high level of a particular nutrient and it increases the demand of another nutrient. So like say we take nitrogen, which is one of the most common and most abundant that's going to be necessary to grow your plant. So we have increased nitrogen levels. That's really going to create a, an increase in magnesium. And uh, among other things, right? So um, let's take another example. So phosphorus and magnesium, they actually have arrows going both ways. So that means they can influence each other. Let's take another one. For example, manganese and potassium. So if you increase your manganese, you're really going to have to increase your potassium as well because it stimulates that. Um, so that's kind of Mulder's chart at a brief overview. Um, there's a lot more to it, of course, but I just kind of wanted to go over that really quickly with you guys. And so next, I kind of wanted to tackle the big three that I talked about earlier, the nitrogen, the phosphorus, and the potassium. Um, things that kind of <clears throat> the plant will tell you uh, if it's missing or if it's too much or... Um, things like that. And I just kind of wanted a brief overview on those three because they're going to be the most common deficiencies or toxic toxicities that you're going to see. And so I just wanted to kind of spotlight those. And so the first one, of course, is going to be nitrogen. Nitrogen is, is of course, like I said earlier, is going to be the most abundant and the most necessary nutrient um, that your plant's going to need for overall just growth and development. If your plant is ever deficient in nitrogen, it's going to show you pretty pretty telltale symptoms of that. So lack of nitrogen, you're really going to see it more in the older leaves. Um, the reason for that is because nitrogen is a mobile nutrient as long as it's in its nitrate form. So since it's a mobile nutrient, it's going to start at the base. Like I said, at the base or lower growth, your leaves are going to actually start to yellow and there's no cause of alarm for that necessarily because all the plant is doing is sapping nutrients from its low growth that's not necessarily uh getting all the light it's older growth it's just going to pull that and push it more towards the top uh more towards the actual node development growth and all that so you're really going to start to see it there if you see it there you may have a nitrogen deficiency not to say that that's what's causing it. It could be a lighting issue. There's just not enough light penetration getting down there and those are just going to die and decay, but it could be a potential nitrogen deficiency. Granted, if you're feeding a normal regimen or bottle newts and, and you're going by what the thing is telling you, you're likely not to be nitrogen deficient. They load the crap out of those things. Um, so yeah, you'll have this nice new green growth at the top, but um, yeah, your bottom leaves may just wilt, get a little yellow. Um, it's really no cause for alarm. This is a really easy fix, to be honest. Um, but it can uh, can be detrimental if you're kind of in the uh, in the flowering stage. Not to say that that it's detrimental because nitrogen is less necessary uh, or necessary in lower amounts in flowering, but you de you definitely don't want it when your plant is really trying to uh, grow and flower out. Um, on the other hand of that is the nitrogen toxicity. So toxicity is when you have too much nitrogen in there. Um, the, the, the symptoms of that you might see on your plant are like the very end leaf tips start to curl and claw, 
claw kind of downward. Like if you were to take your hand and grab something, there's just really just clawing down like that. The stems become really brittle. So if you're trying to uh, scrog your stuff out and branch it out and they start snapping, that could be too much nitrogen. Um, not to say that these are, these are telltale. These are going to be the reasons that they're just certain symptoms and aspects to look out for when dealing with deficiencies and toxicities. Um, so snapping of the leaves isn't going to be like, oh, that's a nitrogen toxicity. That's just not how it works. Uh, there are so many other things at play, but these are things just to kind of help you get an idea of what may be happening. Um, and that uh, toxicity could also, could also happen when there's a pH issue, nitrogen toxicity. Um, and that that's almost throughout most nutrients is pH issue. Um, just because uptake, uh, limits and stuff like that, which I'll talk about here in, in a second. Uh, the next thing I wanted to go to is phosphorus, the phosphorus deficiency. Um, you, it's, it's kind of hard to tell, um, on phosphorus, there's no just like dying leaves. It's not as easy as that. The uh, the growth, the plant growth may come to a halt. It might start to just slow down. If you're not noticing your plant is just stuck and not growing, it could be a phosphorus deficiency. Um, darker plant leaves, darker foliage uh, can also attribute to that. So if you're experiencing these things, uh, in tandem, not necessarily independent of each other. Uh, it could be that there is a phosphorus deficiency. Um, and then, uh, the, the, on, on the, on the other hand of that, it could also be like, like a nitrogen, def, uh, toxicity rather, um, phosphorus could also show that your, your leaves start to brown and curl up or curl in. Um, I guess from, from the very edge of the fan leaf into like a taco style, um, not necessarily a claw. Um, and then the last and final building block nutrient, um, is going to be of course, potassium. And if we see a deficiency in potassium, uh, we're going to see certain things along the lines of, and I also wanted to say really quickly before I, I talk about that, um, potassium, um, is is kind of in in base fertilizers like you like i said in my last episode kind of how to how to start your grow with minimal cost um when buying these pre amended soils like happy frog or something like that or even in most base nutrients um phosphor sorry potassium is going to come in usually at like the lowest uh rated amount not rated sorry just like the lowest amount uh, overall of nutrient of these three uh building blocks so it's 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 fairly common that you see a potassium deficiency but it's also not one of the most it's not one of the detrimental ones that uh detrimental deficiencies so what you may see is um like browning and dying of uh certain leaves um it'll also just kind of like inhibit growth in the plant as with most of these building block nutrients they're kind of gonna just stunt your plant um i've had this happen to me on multiple occasions i just didn't really know what what i was doing at the time but yeah it'll it'll just stop your growth of your plant and and i notice this a lot in like flowering plants um especially because it's it's common that potassium is is in fairly low amounts uh in most soils like pre-mixed soils um 
also if you have this potassium deficiency you might just have uh burnt tips or burnt edges like the serrated part of your leaves might get burnt curl um kind of just start to die off um may have a little bit of that tacoing like i was just talking about but um yeah it's it's more on like the edge of the family if you'll kind of see this browning um and that that is a potential sign of a potassium deficiency um and then more like like I was talking about with nitrogen, the lower leaves, the more mature leaves, they might uh, get yellow in very specific areas um, between the veins, and then it may spread to more of the entire leaf. Um, or they just might just turn yellow and die. But also, like, see, all, see how all these kind of, like, interconnect, and you can't just link one to another, because they all have varying symptoms, but they also have very common symptoms that they share with each other. Um, so you can't just lock it down to one, but one, um, there, there's several photos online too. And, and sites like grow weed easy, or I love growing marijuana or st stuff like that, um, may have pictures. So you can actually have this visual representation of what these may look like or extreme cases of what these may look like. Um, but if you're just seeing some yellowing, common yellowing, uh, across your plants, uh, don't worry too much about that because it r really, um, especially like if you're looking at like your lower growth it's really not that big of a deal um also even if you corrected the problem without knowing it um you may still see the symptoms of the deficiency happen um and you might see it halfway through the plant and that is just your plant has 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 overcome it and grown past it and what you're seeing is old deficiency so you really kind of want to look at your new growth uh to kind of see at least this like phosphorus and potassium deficiencies. Um, the nitrogen is fairly common that it happens more in the lower, uh, lower half of the plant. So um, just keep your eye out for those things and don't overcorrect because like I said, there is toxicity and, and don't freak out. Um, you know, you, you kind of got to give your plant time to adjust to these things. You can't just dump a bunch of x y and z in there and hope that it's going to be okay you kind of have to be fairly methodical about it so just be careful uh, again with deficiencies and toxicities and don't freak out so on top of it just not being there or available um the reason it might be there it might completely be there you might have the right levels of everything uh the one thing that may be off and this is super super common especially for very first time growers who really don't know what they're doing i struggled with this a lot um is ph um and it varies this is why this is can, can kind of be a tricky thing it really kind of depends on what you're growing in how you're growing hydro synthetic uh and soil um they're going to change a little bit so generally with soil you kind of want to go with a ph of about six and then have your runoff be maybe a little higher um because stuff's going to correct within your soil your your ecology is going to correct things like that um but yeah, so you want your, your water going in to, or your, uh, your mix going in to be around six pH. Um, it's just a really common kind of number in practice for hydro and hydroponics. You kind of just like want to go, uh, it's very close, but you can kind of arrange a little more. So you can go to about five, five, which is, is pretty low to about the six, 
that the soil uh, would be in. So five five to six. My range that I like to stay in in hydro is five eight to six zero. So the reason also pH is a very important is because, or, or oh, I guess the main reason the pH is very important is because the the plant will uptake or or will. Yeah, the plant will uptake at a certain pH of these very specific nutrients. Like there are ranges that these nutrients will not be plant available because of pH. They just that's just how uh, the biology or ecology works inside the system. So I'm going to list off uh, the the main ones that you kind of want to be worried about, and and now you can kind of adjust your range here. Uh, based on these principles, but nitrogen likes a pH of its safe range or uh, is going to be about 5.5 to 8.0 and then phosphorus is going to be 6.0 to 7.5 potassium 6 to 7.5 sulfur 5.5 to 10 which is crazy, right? Uh, calcium is going to be about 6.0 to 8.0 magnesium 6.0 to 8.5 iron 4.0 to 7.0 manganese 4.5 to 8 boron 4.5 to 7.5 and copper and zinc 5 to 7.5 so as you can kind of see this range the 6.0 kind of meets all those markers except for no, it hits about all of them. So 6.0 is going to be the range that you kind of really pinpoint to. And that's kind of the range that that's kind of the consensus of uh, the whole community. And this is the reason why is these numbers correlate uh, to average out to about 6.0. And that's why we've kind of settled there. If your pH is is too high or low for whatever reason, there's corrective behavior you can take to, to, to alleviate that. Um, for pH down, um, there are a couple different options you can use. There's phosphoric acid and there's citric acid. Those are the like kind of most common ones that are used. Uh, phosphoric acid is um, is one of those things that you kind of got to be careful with because it does come with that attached phosphorus. So you don't want to add the phosphorus like I talked about earlier to potentially your regimen. And then now you have this abundance of phosphorus and then now you're locked out of something else. Um, so you kind of want to be careful when playing around with uh, the phosphoric acid and, and how much phosphorus it actually has in it. Um, and then citric acid, um, this one you kind of got to be careful with. I wouldn't necessarily recommend uh, making it and just like squeezing some oranges because that's that's not necessarily uh, the method that 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 they use to cr when they create these things. Um, so, but the cool thing with the citric acid is it will bond to phosphorus ions and keep it plant available. It won't kind of, uh, push it out. Um, so you're not coming at it with this abundance of phosphorus, but you're also keeping that phosphorus available to the plant, um, which is a really cool, uh, benefit, I guess, to the citric acid. But again, just kind of whatever is, is, is telling you that you should use it go with that, um, kind of look at it from all the angles, research it a little bit and, uh, make your decision from there and whatever works for your garden, uh, is going to work for your garden, right? Um, Sally, who's growing, uh, X plant, um, down the street or even in a different country may, uh, her garden is going to be, especially in a different country is going to be nothing 
like yours, right? They, they vary so much. So really kind of shop around and pick what works for you. So this next topic I kind of wanted to touch on is some kind of a controversy, somewhat of a controversial um, topic, I guess, is flushing. Flushing plants, um, and there's there's always this back and forth, back and forth, and, and data and all this that no one can seem to agree on or come to a consensus on on this. So I just kind of want to like lay out some some facts and some things that I've gathered uh, and some studies that have been done and kind of let you make your own decision. Um, okay, so first I want to I wanna go over some claims that the people who don't like to flush will make, and then I kind of want to debunk them, right? Okay, so number one is going to be that flushing robs nutrients at any stage in the plant's life cycle, and it will not benefit the growth if you just take that away. Number two would be once the nutrients are absorbed into the plant tissue, that they're permanent and they cannot expel them by simply defying it. Number three is going to be, or not defying it, sorry, denying it. Um, number three is going to be if flushing was a beneficial practice, then plants grown in hydro would always taste better than plants going in soil because you can't necessarily effectively flush a hot soil uh, or void it of all of its nutrients. Um, and then number four would be uh, withholding nutrients can cause stress and impede growth, kind of how I talked about earlier. If you just kind of take one away and lock out another, it's just really not overall beneficial or to uh, to the growth, even though this is happening more towards the end of a plant cycle where it's it's not necessarily needing all these nutrients, but you know, two weeks of growth, which a lot of people like to flush it two weeks a week away from harvest, um, that's kind of where I'm going with that is, is, is it still has time, uh, and you're not feeding it up until the very end. Um, and then number five, the last one is going to be that, uh, this is just a kind of claim that, uh, flushing plants is quote unquote, a pseudoscience and has not been supported by any legitimate scientific studies, which I have one that I'm going to talk about here in a second. But first I wanted to, we want to debunk these, right? So number one, uh, how we talked about robbing them of their nutrients, right? Um, the claim is, or the the counter to that is that you're not robbing them of the nutrients. Your plant get this is 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 getting the chance to actually use all the excess of nutrients that they've uptaken, um, if they have an excess, and that you uh, feeding them up until the point of harvest can have an overabundance of nutrient, and that can translate to a harsher smoke or uh, quote unquote chemicals in your plant. And then number two, how uh, how we talked about um, that once they're absorbed into the plant tissue, they're permanent. Number two can be debunked by saying that, uh, it, so we can take the premise of nutrient burn, right? And they can't expel. So that's that's what we're saying here is, is that uh, they're not gonna be able to expel all these nutrients. Well, on the contrary, that if you are growing a plant and you notice it has an abundance, what do you do? Well, the first thought is to flush the plant out, right? Like flush the media, get rid of it, and kind of start over. And so that's kind of the, the attack that they're playing here is um, that flushing the soil is really devoiding it and, and you're, you're cutting it off. And so it's not uptaking more. So it will 
kind of get rid of and use all those excess nutrients. Um, and then number three, how we talked about the soil can't be flushed. Uh, there, th this claim is that it's illogical and um, plant soil can't necessarily be flushed. And they can. Um, it just takes a little longer and, and you really have to be watering with a very uh, filtered water. It can't have any necessarily any micronutrients or macronutrients up in that. Or you're just continually feeding very, very minute amounts of, of nutrient to your plant. And then um, number four, um, so what we're saying here is that um, how withholding nutrients can cause stress to a plant. Um, and then that will impede growth instead of uh, encouraging it. Uh, what they're claiming here is that uh, it causes them to increase their defensive compounds, which is stuff like the resin, right, and trichomes. Uh, I guess those are the same. But um, And they are going to kind of push those and really kind of uh, it, it's signaling the plant that it's at, towards end of life and that they have to uh, kind of push everything make that last final push till till the finish line and and that's going to really result in a better um overall percentage yield of the compounds you're going for in the plant such as thc and so how i was talking about how um how there hasn't been any research how they were claiming like i said uh that there wasn't any scientific research to back any of this up there is actual a tr actually a trial that was conducted by this company called rx green technologies they um they manufacture nutrients and, and other things so you can't necessarily take this for gospel they may just be trying to sell a product but it is a trial that that actually happened so what they did is they took this strain uh cherry diesel and they grew it in a cocoa media and so that's going to be more of like a hydroponic setup right so they're going to be using these salt nutrients um and they had uh 12 plants that they subjected to different flush times so some of them were um flushed zero days some were flushed seven some were flushed 10 or some were flushed 14 days which is that two weeks i was telling you about that uh is pretty common practice so there were samples uh taken after all of these uh had finished their flower and finished their uh harvest cure and all that um and there was uh apparently no significant change in mineral content of the flower that resulted from different flushing treatments which is crazy right so we're talking about how we were just talking about uh that overabundance of nutrients and we have to flush it out apparently according to this uh there was no difference in in abundance or underabundance or or a flushing quote unquote flushing out of nutrients and then on the other hand of that, uh, they also tested uh, trimmed flower weight, terpene, and THC concentrations and found no significant differences between the flush treatments, which is also kind of crazy. So, right, it's how, how they were talking in that last uh, defense uh, point that I made about how it was really going to push to the end of life and really kind of push those other defense uh mechanisms and, and and get higher thc count they found that this didn't necessarily ring true and then also the the 
last component, the last element, the last non-scientific study that they did on this is they had blind tests, right? They like they do in a lot of different things. They had these blind tests where people were given smoke of each of these different groups. Uh, and most people surprisingly uh, tended to like the stuff that uh, didn't flush that flushed for zero days, which is, is a kind of incredible impact that that is how it was perceived. So it's just an interesting kind of topic. Like I said, there's no definitive uh, on any of this. Uh, this is, I'm just kind of uh, providing some, you know, uh, not necessarily facts, but, you know, uh, opinions and, and points and tests on, on this subject. And you can make your own assessment of it. But um, personally, I, I grow in soil, so flushing isn't necessarily in my regimen, um, because a plant at, at that point, um, I only grow them in 10 gallons, so they only have this, this bank of nutrients to work with. And I usually don't amend and I don't have to amend the latent, uh, latent flower. I just kind of, uh, gauge the trichomes with my jeweler's loop and kind of go from there. And if I see the plant getting a little deficient in early flower, I will amend on top of that and throw in some some late building blocks like some potassium and uh, phosphorus and a little bit of nitrogen, of course, but um, it's not super, super necessary at that late stage flower. Oh, and then um, so we have this last topic that I wanted to talk about. It's a very brief topic, but um, sexing plants, uh, sexing cannabis plants, at least, um, is is kind of one of those things that's always... Uh, a worry when people pop these regular seeds, right? Am I going to get a male? Am I going to get a female? How do I tell? Is there a way to tell from seed, from looking at the seed? Um, is there a way to tell early? Is there a way to tell without putting it in a flower? Um, the, the most definitive rule that I can give you, unfortunately, is going to have to be to get that plant. Uh, there's actually a couple ways you could do it. You could technically grow that plant up, take a cut of it, uh, clone it and then put that clone uh, once it's rooted in a 12-12 system and see what pre-flowers it throws out. That's probably going to be your safest route so that way if you want to keep these genetics around you still have your main plant that you took that clone off of. Um, but the, the only way to tell really if it's going to be male or female as far as I know is going to be flowering that plant and putting a piece of that plant in a flowering cycle and it's going to tell you uh, via if it grows balls or if it starts to grow pistols. Um, some people have tried to say that they can sex a plant from seed, from just looking at the seed if it has a little circle or a line or something on it. That's just kind of bro science. You can't really take that for granted. That's kind of been disproven. It's not a real thing. Um, and then I think there are some labs working on taking little tissue samples of these plants and being able to uh, actually through a lab um, determine if it's going to be male or female, which that might be a little more accurate. I haven't really looked into it too much, but uh, yeah, there's plenty of pictures online that show what pollen sacs look like pre-pollen sacs and, and pre-female flower uh, pistils uh, look like. And those are all pretty incon not inconclusive they're all pretty conclusive uh and and you can tell fairly easily um 
what's going to be what, but female plants are going to shoot those pistils out of their like node from where the branch starts on the stem or where a bud site is going to be. And those come fairly early into flower. Like you can flip it in 12-12 and you're going to know within a week either way. Uh, but male plants tend to grow uh, taller and quicker and they show pre-flowers quicker as well. So you're going to know pretty quickly if you have a male or a female um, when you get into early flower. Unfortunately, that's kind of the only way we can decide right at this moment. But um, yeah, so anyway, uh, that's kind of all the topics that I had to talk about today, guys. If you learn anything, that's awesome. Um, and if you didn't, thank you for listening um, to me rant and ramble for this entire episode. But um yeah guys uh tune in you know next week or so i should have bird feed number four ready for you guys uh but uh see y'all later have a wonderful wonderful day